Yeah, Chris started, though, to break down Romans 10, and we took a look at these two camps of Arminianism and Calvinism. And really what Chris wanted us to focus on more than anything else, much like what Paul was trying to do all through the book of Romans and in so many of other of his letters, was to understand that we are saved by grace through faith. And as I began to think about Paul's writings, and more specifically, his life, I really became challenged by something that um, I hadn't really put a lot of thought in as much. And, um, and it's really this concept of him being compelled by the love of Christ that has dramatically transformed the way that he lived his life. And the way that he lives his life makes, makes it evident to us that he understands this saving grace that comes through faith coupled with trust. He has great faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what it is that he, um, Christ has called him to. When you look at Philippians 2, 12 through 13, Paul says these words. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Ultimately, what he is saying is that Christ does a work inwardly that compels us to do a work outwardly. And again, we see that Paul has great faith coupled with great trust. I want to take a look at Acts 9, 19 through 31. So if you could turn with me there, uh, open up your, uh, your phones or your Bibles. It's not going to be on the screen. I want you to follow along. We're going to take, an We're going to take a look at Paul's life right after he put his faith in Jesus Christ. And so we've, a lot of us are probably familiar with the, this Acts 9 passage, the road to Damascus, as it's commonly called, where Christ is, or Paul has not put his faith in Christ. He saw at this moment he's persecuting the church. He actually gave permission for the first Christian to be persecuted and killed, that being Stephen. And so he's on his way to Damascus, which we understand is over 100 miles away. He's literally going to travel there by foot to, with the purpose of persecuting and imprisoning Christ's followers, not just men, women, and children as, all, as well. And we see this radical transformation, this encounter he has with Christ on the way. And so that sets up what has taken place. He's put his faith in Christ. He had this interaction with Ananias. He understands that his mission, his call now, is to be a witness. He's there, he's, his, his call was to, be, to, to reveal and to share the gospel to the Gentile people. And so as we read through 19 through 31 in Acts 9, I want you to think about this question. What is on the line for Paul? Think about what it is that he has to sacrifice. And I don't just want the cliche answer of his life. I want you to think about what is truly on the line for Paul, what it is he's sacrificing. Does that make sense? Let me pray before we jump to the word. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your love. And Lord, we do thank you that it is truly by grace that we are saved through faith. We thank you for that free gift. Lord, I pray that we would be even more aware and sensitive to how real that is. And I pray that that would compel us to put great faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray that as we get into your word, that it would truly pierce our spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 9. 19 through 31, follow along with me. So we'll start in kind of in B there. So Saul, which we know will soon be Paul, spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, which this is phenomenal. He goes from persecuting the, the apostles, the disciples, to becoming one here, right? And hanging out with them. 
Verse 20, at once he began to preach. So he did not wait. He immediately acted. We saw that. We see this to be a common theme in Scripture. Everything from the Old Testament all the way up till now. Christ calls him, compels him to something, compels people to something, and they act immediately. So at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem? They know that he persecuted the church. They knew, they knew that he was imprisoning and killing Christians. They were astonished. Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful. And in, in a better translation is he grew more and more in strength. And I'm going to talk about why that is later. And baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, many days, this is actually, if you look at um, um, other texts, we understand that this was three years. So it's many days, right? So three years, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan day and night for three years. Think about that. They kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. By his followers, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a longer burger basket. Through an opening in the wall. Anyone remember those? 90s, anyone? Yeah. No, you don't. You were born in the 2000s, Josie. You're lying. I'm going to call you out on that. What's that? Yeah, they actually closed down. Isn't that sad? It is sad. But anyways, either Paul was a very small man or this was a very large basket. One of the, one of the two. Maybe both. Anyways, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. Praise the Lord for that. So let me go back to this question that I posed before we read this. What is it? I'm going to actually have you give me feedback. What was it that he risked? What was on the line? What did he sacrifice? Status. Status, absolutely. He had ton of power and authority before this. All that he risked. What else? Livelihood, absolutely. He was living the dream. He had everything at his disposal. He's now living in a new location, no house. Where's he going to get his food, his water, shelter, etc., etc.? What else? Comfort. Comfort, absolutely. What else? Safety. Safety. What else? Friends. Friends, new community, right? What else? Credibility, Credibility absolutely. What's that? Heritage. Yes, heritage. The Lord. The, yeah. How about this? He sac- I believe he sacrificed these things too. Is he going to truly experience purpose and significance like he had before? I truly believe he was zealous. We know that that was true. He believed in the cause he was fighting for before Christ. Would he find significant and purpose in this new calling, in his new identity in Jesus Christ? The list could go on and on and on. It's incredible to think about. I think when we just glance at this, we think we, he just was, his life was on the line. And I don't want to diminish that. 
But it was so much more. And it took great faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He had, a, he had to have great faith and trust, knowing that God would be the God of great providence. Again, everything from food, water, water shelter, community that he could trust, purpose, significance, self-worth, joy in the midst of hardships. His faith and trust had to grow. Let's go back to that verse at the very beginning in 22 where it says, yeah, Saul grew more and more powerful, and, it's, and really a better translation is in strength. Here's why I believe that to be true, is he was willing to risk things for Christ in the kingdom. And in return, he experienced God's trustworthiness. Like it says in Romans, Paul writes about this in Romans. We read this not too long ago. We went through this. In Romans 4.20, speaking of Abraham, the father of faith, right? It says, yet he did not waver in his unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God. Why was he strengthened in his faith? When you look at the previous text in, in Romans 4, it's because he was willing to risk things for God. And he took great leaps of faith, trusting in God's trustworthiness. And so as he took a step of faith, he saw God's faithfulness in return. And that's why he was strengthened. It reiterates this about Abraham in James 2.22. It says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, but his faith was made what? Complete, or better translation, mature by what he did. Again, because he's able to see God's faithfulness and providence as he took steps of faith, as he trusted Christ. And this is the same thing that we see take place with Paul. He strengthened in his faith because of the trust he put in Jesus Christ. If we were to look at 2 Timothy 1, 11 and 12, this gives a good synopsis of what we just talked about. I love the NLT. We see this up here. I think we have it up here on the board. It says, Paul writes these words. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. And this is why I am suffering here in prison. He's literally in prison. He's been in prison for his faith. But he says this, I am not ashamed of it. For I know the one in whom I trust. And I'm sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. My question is, is what has Paul entrusted to him? What has he committed to God? Surely the first thing that we think of is his life. He literally committed his life to Christ. He's in prison awaiting trial, probably knowing that he's going to be sentenced to death. We know that that's something he has committed and trusted to God. And here's the reality of Paul, and it should become a reality of us. He's able to be in there. He's able to have the boldness because he knows that God is the only one who could preserve his life. He is the only one that could keep his own life. Paul could not do that for himself. Only God was able. And again, knowing this made Paul full of boldness. But that, again, did not come from himself. It came from his trusting in Christ, his faith in him. But again, this was not, it wasn't, it wasn't only his life that Paul had entrusted and committed to Christ. Paul had committed everything to Jesus, his life again, his body, his character and reputation, and his life's work, all things that we would consider precious. He entrusted to Jesus Christ. See, Paul believes this to be true. I believe this wholeheartedly. That when you put your faith in Christ, 
the greatest risk on the line is dissolved, that being eternity. And when death, when the threat of death is on the doorstep, it literally just becomes a door to paradise, annihilating and removing the final temporal risk, the final barrier that we could face. See, Paul understood that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul, again, had great faith, great trust. See, there are three primary translations of the word faith in Greek. The noun form is, you don't have to write this down, but this is interesting. The noun form is pistis. The adjective form is pistos. The verb form is pisteo. Each form's meaning is a variation of the word trust. Hence, pistis noun is a trust in someone or something. Pistos adjective is trusting as in a trusting person. And pisteo verb literally means I trust. So when we encounter faith in scripture, we should also read it as we trust. Therefore, biblically, trust and faith are quite synonymous. They're intertwined. Some may even say they have the same meaning. They definitely go hand in hand. If you have faith in Christ, then you also have trust in him. They should go together, at least they're supposed to when it comes to following Christ. But I think, I believe too often, that we as Christ followers have found a way to separate these two words. And here's what I mean by this. Is that oftentimes I think we have this great faith that we, have put in, that we have put in Christ in regards to our eternal life. But we fail to have trust in our life day to day. Does that make sense? We have put faith in Christ knowing that's where eternal life can come from. But we fail to trust him when it comes to our life day to day. It's like we realize we are not an option when it comes to our salvation. And therefore, there's no other logical options other than him. However, in our day-to-day, our decisions, our mindset, our lifestyle, it reflects that there is very much another option, me. And I could easily make the argument that I too often put great trust in me rather than in Jesus Christ. In summary, again, I have faith that he has saved me. He has saved my life. But I struggle to put trust in him in the day-to-day. See, here's an example I want to give you. I have faith in a lot of things, a lot of belief, a lot of faith in a lot of things. Um, but not everything that I have faith in, I trust fully. I, I fully trust that parachutes are made well, all right? And that the majority of the people that go skydiving live. And if it, if it were an option that was given to me every single time I fly to have a parachute, I would say yes, knowing that's the only thing that could save me if we were to begin to crash, But if a parachute were to be given to me to skydive, I would not have the trust in it to take the action that is necessary and to jump out of the plane. Much like my faith in Christ, my failure to trust him causes me to stay in the plane. I have faith in him in eternal life, but I fail to trust him with my day to day. Right now, I'm sure you're saying, hey, Phil, this is just semantics. Maybe so. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a semantical thing, but don't miss the heart of it. To trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and let him direct your path. Trust in the God 
of providence. Trust in the covenant God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, for he who is promised is faithful. That is true. See, the word translated in verse 5 in Proverbs 3 literally means to lie helpless face down. It often would be used to describe a servant waiting for the master's command and readiness to obey, or a defeated soldier yielding himself to the conquering king. Let's take a similar posture in our mindset as it pertains to our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's my challenge to us. That's my challenge to myself, to approach my life with Christ like that, to lay prostrate before him, saying, I am helpless without you in my day-to-day. I put faith in you in my salvation, but man, I need trust in you as I walk out my day-to-day. And much like Paul, when I first came to Christ and was compelled by Christ's love 16 years ago, I saw myself make immediate decisions much like Paul that reflected great trust in Christ. Here's a few just to list off some. When I put my faith in Christ, one of the things that changed, a few things that changed immediately were not necessarily new friends, but what I would do with my friends. I trusted, I trusted I would find fun and enjoyment in him and the righteous life that he called me to. Choosing sexual purity over selfish sexual indulgence. See, I trusted I could find satisfaction by abiding, truly abiding in Christ and the kingdom call. Finances and how I viewed money. I jumped into um, vocational ministry right after I came to Christ. In my first four years of a vocational ministry, I made less than $10,000 a year. I don't say that to boast, but Christ had given me a trust in his great providence day to day. And vocational, a vocational lifestyle, a missional lifestyle. And I trust that there would be enough energy and time for others as opposed to just for myself. But as time passed, I saw that oftentimes my trust in these things waned more than what I would like to admit to. But if I were really to boil it down to three main camps and where I believe I struggle in my trust to him and where I think a lot of Christ followers struggle in their trust with him, it's these three camps. It's when life is hard, when life is easy, and when Christ calls you to risk. I want to take a look at these three. First one, when life is hard. And so when we look at each one, we're going to take a look at some of the temptations and the solutions. So when life is hard, the temptation there, which also is, it's an indicator that we lack trust when we give in to these temptations. Not that we face these temptations, but when we give in to these temptations, this is an indicator. This should be an indicator to us that we are failing and lacking in the trust we should have in Jesus Christ. First temptation, so the temptation when life is hard is to give up and to isolate. I find myself in that place way too much and I see other Christ followers do the same thing. The solution, to claim the promises of God and choose community. See, our world can get rocked when life gets hard, when life gets stressful, when life gets difficult. It can take a shot at our our identity, our self-worth. And that's where I encourage, much like Chris has encouraged, to spend time preaching the gospel to ourselves, Camp out in Ephesians 1 and preach the gospel to yourself. When life gets hard and life gets difficult, you feel just weak. That's when you rely on two things. When I look at scripture, 
God's grace and knowing that when you're weak, he is strong. And the third thing that I like to claim, a promise I like to claim when I hit these moments is it's, we know these verses well at the very beginning of James, in James 1, 2 through 4. Anyone know what those are? Consider it what? Pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face what? Trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So I find myself, when I hit hard times, I'm praying for perseverance. And then it goes on to James when it says, when you hit this and you need perseverance, here's what you need, my wisdom. And his wisdom is an understanding of what it is he's, he's revealing to you to know how to handle these times that are hard so that you can persevere. So I pray for perseverance, but I pray for wisdom and understanding of knowledge of what God has directed me to do in these moments that are challenging so that I can persevere. So may we claim the promises of God. And when we do so, we have an eternal perspective that is transformed with the renewing of our mind as we claim scripture over ourselves. The other big temptation, again, is to isolate. Choose community. Let them in when things are hard. We can be timid to do that because it may appear that we are weak and that we are incapable. But two are better than one because there's good for return for their work. We need to rely and rest on community. The other temptation when we face, when life gets hard, is to just work harder. I'm phenomenal at this. Put my head down, put the nose to the grind. I got my blinders on. It's up to me. It's gotten hard. Oftentimes I put myself in a situation, crap has been thrown at me, I'm going to go at it, right? We've been there, we've done that, right, where we work harder. Oftentimes I think it's just up to my planning, my speaking, my leading, and my hard work. Here's what I've learned in my exhortation to you. It's to plan well and often, but don't trust in your plans. In humility, trust God. Speak boldly and strategically, but don't trust in your words. In humility, trust God. Lead courageously and selflessly, but don't trust in your leadership. In humility, trust in God. Work hard, as hard as you ever have, but don't trust in your work. In humility, trust in God. And here's the greatest way, the, tan the greatest tangible way that you can do this, through Sabbath and prayer. When we choose to take a Sabbath, when life is hard, and we choose to put our head down and blinders on, there's a temptation for us to not choose Sabbath, to rest and wait in the Lord. We think we are losing time for the work that we have to do. Choose Sabbath. Weekly. At times daily. What will that look like for you? It reminds us, I, when I choose Sabbath, it reminds me that it's not about my work, but his work in me. And to pray, our mindset needs to change about prayer. I believe this. My mindset needs to change. Don't pray instead of work. Pray because it is the work. Pray because you cannot fully trust your work, but you can fully trust the work of Jesus Christ. Prayer is not something that symbolizes laziness, but it truly symbolizes trust. Prayer lists not just the outcome of the work, but it lists the origin of the work. We miss it when we fail to pray. And know that what could take us five months of work could be done in five minutes of prayer. May we do the work of prayer. Chris has been exhorting us to do that for a while now. May we choose that. 
May we discipline ourselves in that way. Choose Sabbath and choose prayer. Number two, the second um, camps that I think we fall into where it's, it's really hard to trust Christ is actually when life gets easy. We've been here, right? Smooth sailing. There's no need for him. I've got it figured out. Nothing's hard. I've, it's, it's kind of an easy routine. I wake up, go through the motions, it's done. Life is easy, right? We've been there. Oftentimes in those moments then, I find myself um, not saying it, but thinking it. Man, I've done this. I brought myself to this point. And I find myself boasting in myself, boasting in my work, boasting in what I've accomplished. And I fail to recognize that it's been God working in and through me and provided all these great things that had led to a, a moment, a season of life where I'm experiencing life to the full. And so the solution to this is very simple, I think, is these three things. Reflect, praise, and thank. Let's make a discipline to do these three things. Man, we should be raising up Ebenezer's in our life often. As we see God at work in our life and providing for us, let's raise up an Ebenezer where we can look back on it when hard times hit and bring praise and glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And when we, when we see him at work, I believe we should pause throughout our days at the end of the day to think about all that Christ has done. And may that turn to a time of praise and thanksgiving and worship. We need to be people that are reflective. So when life gets easy, the temptation is to boast in self. The solution is to reflect, praise, and thank. The third thing, third camp is when Christ calls you to risk. Allow me to, to define risk-taking so we kind of have like a, we're all on the same page, but it's a, it's a, sacrifi a sacrificial action that exposes us to the opportunity of failure, loss, hurt, brokenness, and or becoming uncomfortable. So it's a sacrificial act that exposes us to those things. That's a risk, right? We understand that, right? And so Christ so often calls us to take kingdom risks. For I believe little actually happens in the kingdom of God when it's void of risks. He also does it because he is such a personal God and wants to engage you and me in that way. You see, it's not because he needs us and there's a great dependence he has on us. That is not the case at all. He does not need you at all. There's not a dependence on us, but rather he knows we need to risk forcing our dependence on him and exercising our trust. This is why he calls us to risk. The kingdom is void of so many great things because he wants us to join in the work that he's always been doing, but then we miss out on experiencing Christ and his providence and how he works in and through our life. We need to be put in situations where we are independence on him. Every time we say yes to a risk, we communicate to Christ, I trust you. I trust you. The temptation when we face risks is to choose comfort. And I think oftentimes when we neglect that risk, when we want to neglect that risk, we choose comfort and we pawn it off in this way. I don't feel peace about it. We choose comfort. We choose complacency. The solution 
is authentic. There's a lot of things I could talk about here. I'm, just, I'm, I'm choosing one thing here. I found this to be really powerful in my life. I want to exhort you to think about doing this as well. When you are facing the temptation of choosing comfort, is to, to authentically acknowledge what is before you and what it is you're feeling and experiencing. For example, go be- when you feel the Lord nudging, when you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your shirt, asking you to do something that exposes you again to loss, failure, hurt, disappointment, failure, un- being uncomfortable, to acknowledge that and tell the Lord, I feel truly uncomfortable right now for these reasons. I feel like I'm going to have to sacrifice A, B, and C. And Lord, if I sacrifice these things, I need you to show up in this way. And I also want you, Lord, to reveal to me the ways that you show up that are unexpected and the ways that I need. I want to encourage you to just authentically go before Christ in that way. Let us be like David in the Psalms and let us pour out our heart in these moments. I also just want to encourage us to... Um, act immediately. Respond. If we wait, we'll never do it. See, here's the reality. <clears throat> when it comes to when Christ is calling us to take risk for the kingdom and his name for the gospel, and we choose comfort over that, if we pursue comfort, it produces atrophy. If we, if we pursue risks, it produces strength. If we, per, if we pursue comfort, it produces uh, an unhealthy dependence. If we choose risks, it produces a holy dependence. If we choose comfort again, it communicates life's about me. If you choose risk, if you pursue risk, kingdom risk for the name of the gospel, it communicates that life's about Jesus Christ. It communicates that it's about him. May we bring glory to his name because we choose to trust him when he calls us to great risks. I feel like there's been multiple times, praise the Lord for this, I humbly can communicate this, where I feel like God has given me the strength and the boldness to trust him and to step out in faith in these risks. And I feel like when I do that, I'm able to be on the front row of this game that, that, that God is playing and I'm seeing his glory before me. And I get to praise him as I do so. I just want to close out with a, a short story. Kimball, uh, worship team, you can come on up. I don't want to go into a lot of details because there's part of the story that's not mine to necessarily tell. But um, <clears throat> when I started uh, <clears throat> vocational ministry, um, I was with this organization called Leader Treks. And I was there for eight years. Um, and in my first year with him, I knew without a shadow of a doubt what he was calling me to next. That he wanted me to pursue um, community development through incarnational living. He wanted me to live amongst people that are struggling, that are overlooked, that are under-resourced and underserved, and uh, really just to love them and to do some community development. I knew that's what he was calling me to. And I had someone challenge me to, 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 in a sense, give that dream back to God. And so over eight years, I would cons- constantly give that back to the Lord. I would pray for that time to come. I would pray for the people, the faces, the names that I had not yet met. I'd pray for opportunities it was a dream of mine. I knew the Lord was calling me to it. 
eight years passed again. I finally, I knew it was time to say yes. I knew the Lord was saying, this is the moment. This is the time. And so we pursued that. My wife and I pursued that six years ago. And I was living out my dream. I saw God doing a lot of cool things in my life and through my life. I saw some people come to Christ. I see, I just, I was, I was again, I, was, I feel like I was on the front row seeing the glory of God display before me. And I was two years into this dream, right? I was living the dream. I was loving it. And this hard time hit my brother. And I knew that I had to choose to sacrifice this dream at some level to choose to support and love my brother. And I'm not here to boast, but I had, there was a lot of sacrifices that I made in that that I still lament at times. That are really hard. I, I'm mourning them at times. But I know over time, without a shadow of a doubt, I had to choose those next three years with my brother and lay those other things at Jesus Christ's feet and in do so communicating, I trust you. I trust you with this. I trust you that you will still bring me purpose and significance to my days. I trust that you will provide for me as I choose this. I trust that you will continue to give me opportunities in my neighborhood. I trust that you will give me opportunities to expose people to the gospel. I trust that I will love this as much as what I loved before. And here's what I got to experience, maybe more than anything else, that was so beneficial to me. That is truly overwhelming for me to think about. Is what I learned from that experience is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. By no means did I sacrifice what Christ has sacrificed for us. But I understood more of his sacrifice for us and for me. And in doing so, I felt like I had this greater understanding, this deeper understanding of his love, which is so wide and so deep, so high and so long. And praise the Lord for that. So again, my final exhortation is let us not just put faith in Jesus Christ. Let us put our trust in him to the day to day and see how he works in us and through us. Amen to that. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your love. I thank you for the invitation you give us often. Lord, I thank you for the saving faith we can have in you through grace, by faith. Lord, I just pray that you would reveal to us what it looks like to trust you in the day-to-day. Show us where we are falling short. Encourage us where we are doing well. Lord, we know that it's by grace that we can only walk into that. It's only by your strength and your providence. And so we rely on that. So we trust in you with all of our heart. Lord, I pray that we will not lean upon just what makes sense to us, our own understanding, our own work, our own efforts, but may we rely on your work and your grace and your providence. And Lord, I pray that you would show us the path of everlasting, and I pray that you would give us the strength to take the steps down that path. And may we see your glory as we do so. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.